Hello, this is Jerry Hendricks. And Adrian Hendricks of Save One More Now Incorporated, where our focus is to lovingly confront all activities dishonoring human life created in the image of God. There is no greater dishonor to God and to human life than to bypass, by ignorance or rejection, His salvation that is only available through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. Today's title is The Salty Life. At Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus states, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its flavor, with what will it be salted? It is then good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. As he held a child to settle an issue among the disciples about who was the greatest, Jesus warned them about the importance of avoiding sin at any cost. Recorded at Mark 9, verses 42 through 50, he told them, Whoever will cause one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if he were thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around his neck. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having your two hands to go into Gehenna, into the unquenchable fire, where their worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame rather than having your two feet to be cast into Gehenna into the fire that will never be quenched, where their worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, cast it out. It is better for you to enter into God's kingdom with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into the Gehenna of fire where their worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, with what will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and be at peace with one another. What is a salty life? I found Bible teacher Adam Clark's commentaries on the 49th and 50th verses of Mark 9 most helpful. His commentary on verse 49 says, in part, it is generally supposed that our Lord means that as salt preserves the flesh with which it is connected from corruption, so this everlasting fire, this inconsumable fire, will have the property not only of assimilating all things cast into it to its own nature, but of making them inconsumable like itself. Some take the whole in a good sense, as referring to the influence of the Spirit of God in the hearts of believers, which shall answer the same end to the soul, in preserving it from the contagion that is in the world, as salt did in the sacrifices offered to God to preserve them from putrefaction. At this point, Clark refers to commentator John Trapp's note on this verse, the Spirit as salt must dry up those bad humors in us which breathe the never-dying worm, and, as fire, must waste our corruptions which else will carry us on to the unquenchable fire. Then Clark continues, Perhaps the whole is an allusion to the purification of vessels, and especially such metallic vessels as were employed in the service of the sanctuary. Probably the following, from Numbers chapter 31 verse 23, may be considered as a parallel text. Everything that may abide in the fire, you shall make go through the fire, and it shall be clean. And all that abides not the fire, you shall make go through the water. 
Here, Clark's commentary reads as if Jesus himself were speaking to his men. You, disciples, are the Lord's sacrifice. You shall go through much tribulation in order to enter into my kingdom, but you are salted. You are influenced by the Spirit of God and are immortal till your work is done. And should you be offered up, martyred, this shall be a means of establishing more fully the glad tidings of the kingdom. And this spirit shall preserve all who believe on me from the corruption of sin and from eternal perdition. The commentator then takes a chilling turn and explains the warning of our Lord. If this passage be taken according to the common meaning, it is awful indeed. Here may be seen the greatness, multiplicity, and eternity of the pains of the damned. They suffer without being able to die. They are burned without being consumed. They are sacrificed without being sanctified, are salted with the fire of hell as eternal victims of the divine justice. We must of necessity be sacrificed to God after one way or other in eternity. And we have now the choice either of the unquenchable fire of his justice or of the everlasting flame of his love. On verse 50, Clark says, See that ye have at all times the preserving principle of divine grace in your hearts, and give that proof of it which will satisfy your own minds, and convince or silence the world. Live in brotherly kindness and peace with each other. Thus shall all men see that you are free from ambition, and that you are my disciples indeed. It is possible for the salt to lose its savor, and yet retain its appearance in the most perfect manner. At this point, Adam Clark cites the writing of academic and clergyman Henry Mondrell. In his travels through the Middle East, Mondrell observed that salt found in dugout areas still looked and shined like salt, but was no longer salty. Only salt which came directly from the rock retained its saltiness. Furthermore, the useless salt would destroy any productive ability of ground upon which it was thrown, therefore it was good only to be walked upon. Then Clark makes this analogy. A preacher or private Christian who has lost the life of Christ and the witness of his spirit out of his soul may be likened to this salt. He may have the sparks and glittering particles of true wisdom, but without its unction or comfort. Only that which is connected with the rock, the soul that is in union with Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit, can preserve its savor and be instrumental of good to others. Our Lord shows here what the preachers of the gospel and what all who profess to follow him should be, the salt of the earth, to preserve the world from putrefaction and destruction. It is written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke how Jesus, calling his first disciples, called men who fished for a living. Luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 tell this story. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. 
But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you would be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Once we belong to Jesus Christ, we must become disciples of our Lord and Savior. As disciples of Jesus, it is imperative that we lead salty lives and provoke the world's thirst for the preserving influence of Jesus they see in us. Along these lines, the Apostle Paul encourages us at Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 to let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. If we truly follow Jesus the Messiah and live salty lives, many more people in the world would thirst for and be caught by Jesus they see in us. A practice of many restaurants and bars is to serve salty snacks to keep patrons thirsty. This is designed to encourage continuous drinking and thereby sell more drinks. As true followers of Jesus Christ, we want to have that same effect on people around us. We catch them with their own thirst for Jesus, the living water, and they will never thirst again. We know those who hunger and thirst are out there because the Lord called them at Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 2. Hey, come everyone who thirsts to the waters. Come, he who has no money, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which doesn't satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in richness. Jesus says hunger and thirst for the right thing is good at Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed and fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uprightness, and right standing with God, for they shall be completely satisfied. According to Ephesians 2, verse 10, we have been created in Jesus Christ for his purposes, not for ours. Therefore, we want his love and desire for us and for the people in the world to be clearly seen. It is not right for us to conceal this witness from the world. You know, the world can tell rather quickly who we belong to, even if we never say a word. This is why so many people are turned off when they are approached by so-called Christians without the goods of the Holy Spirit's fruit. The hungry and thirsty ones know when they have encountered the eternal person of Jesus, even if they don't know what to believe or can't call his name. They have been prepared just for this moment, as Romans 8, verses 19 through 21 testify. Everything that God made is waiting with excitement for the time when he will show the world who his children are. The whole world wants very much for that to happen. Everything God made was allowed to become like something that cannot fulfill its purpose. That was not its choice, but God made it happen with this hope in view that the creation would be made free from ruin, that everything God made would have the same freedom and glory that belongs to God's children. Once we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we do not belong to ourselves anymore, and the way we live should leave no doubt in anyone's mind that we are His. This is more likely to be the case if we deliberately spend time with Him every day and ask for His way in every decision. 
At first, we yield in total submission to his leading, but eventually we will learn and be able to accurately choose his ways, still allowing him to train and mature us in his love, his godliness, and his holiness. This process is shown at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-8. through 8. For his divine power has bestowed upon us all things that are requisite and suited to life and godliness through the full personal knowledge of him who called us by and to his own glory and excellent virtue. By means of these, he has bestowed on us his precious and exceedingly great promises so that through them you may escape by flight from the moral decay that is in the world because of covetousness, lust, and greed, and become sharers, partakers of the divine nature. For this very reason, adding to your diligence to the divine promises, employ every effort in exercising your faith to develop virtue, and in exercising virtue develop knowledge, and in exercising knowledge develop self-control, and in exercising self-control develop steadfastness, patience, endurance, and in exercising steadfastness develop godliness, and in exercising godliness develop brotherly affection, and in exercising brotherly affection develop Christian love. For as these qualities are yours and increasingly abound in you, they will keep you from being idle or unfruitful unto the full personal knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. We can do these things when we put Jesus Christ on and keep him on. Paul alerts us at Romans 13 verses 11 through 14. You know what a critical hour this is, how it is high time now for you to wake up out of your sleep and rouse to reality. For salvation, final deliverance is nearer to us now than when we first believed, trusted in, and relied on Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The night is far gone and the day is almost here. Let us then drop, fling away the works and deeds of darkness and put on the full armor of light. Let us live and conduct ourselves honorably and becomingly as in the open light of day, not in reveling, carousing, and drunkenness, not in immorality and debauchery, not in quarreling and jealousy, but clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah and make no provision for indulging in the flesh and put a stop to thinking about the evil cravings of your physical nature to gratify its desires, its lusts. Once the Lord instructed a young lady to give me a cap with the words, salt life, on it. According to the Urban Dictionary, this phrase denotes a surfer, bodyboarder, or general beach bum whose life centered around the ocean or related beach-going activities. At the time, I was on a low-salt diet. I asked the Lord why she did this and what I was supposed to understand. I now believe there was a dual meaning, first for my physical body, secondly, and more importantly, for my spiritual life. Salt consumption occupies quite a bit of conversation in the health industry. One camp says high salt intake leads to many illnesses. Another camp insists that too little or the wrong kind of salt is dangerous to overall health. The truth, however, is that the human body needs sodium, and some people do receive benefits from adding salt to their diets. Salt plays a necessary role in water retention and muscle contraction and contains nutrients that are vital to the proper functioning of the digestive and other processes and the health of the body as a whole. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we must watch over our lives to ensure they remain salty. The Apostle James alerts us as to how easy it is to be polluted by our tongues. 
At James 3, verses 7 through 12, he compares the absurdity of the same mouth expressing blessing and cursing to the impossibility of a fountain flowing with both sweet and salt water. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea animal can be tamed and has been tamed by human genius. But the human tongue can be tamed by no man. It is a restless, undisciplined, irreconcilable evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come forth blessing and cursing. These things, my brethren, ought not to be so. Does a fountain send forth simultaneously from the same opening fresh water and bitter or salt water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine figs? Neither can a salt spring furnish fresh water. Paul has something to say about this at Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech at all times be gracious, that is, pleasant and winsome, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may never be at a loss to know how you ought to answer anyone who puts a question to you. We must be salty people living salty lives. Commentator Albert Barnes writes, Lives seasoned with piety and grace is, in a way, similar to that which we employ salt in our food, making it wholesome and palatable. The spirit of piety will make it what it should be, useful, agreeable, and beneficial to mankind. Earlier we mentioned the need for salt in our physical bodies. Salt helps retain water in the body, and a life committed to Jesus Christ will possess living water of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this portion of the conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman from John 4. A Samaritan woman came to the well to get some water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. The woman answered, I am surprised that you asked me for a drink. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. Jesus answered, You don't know what God can give you, and you don't know who I am. The one who asked you for a drink, if you knew, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. The woman said, Sir, where will you get this living water? The well is very deep, and you have nothing to get water with. Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? He is the one who gave us this well. He drank from it himself, and his sons and all his animals drank from it too. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but anyone who drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. The water I give people will be like a spring flowing inside of them. It will bring them eternal life. At John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus says, He who believes in me, who cleaves to and trusts in and relies on me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being shall flow continuously springs and rivers of living water. Speaking of Jesus, the apostle John says at 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, This is he who came by water and blood. His baptism and his death, Jesus Christ the Messiah, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And it is the Holy Spirit who bears witness, because the Holy Spirit is the truth. So there are three witnesses in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three witnesses on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree, are in unison, their testimony coincides. The Apostle John recounts what he was told by the risen Jesus at Revelation 21, verse 6. And he further said to me, It is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I myself will give water without price from the fountain of the water of life. And a very special invitation is given at Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And he who is hearing, let him say, Come. And he who is thirsting, let him come. And he who is willing, let him take the water of life freely. God himself promises thirst, slake, and refreshment at Isaiah 44, verses 3 through 5. I will give water to the thirsty land and make streams flow on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your children and my blessing on your descendants. They will thrive like well-watered grass, like willows by the streams of running water. One by one, people will say, I am the Lord's. They will come to join the people of Israel. They each will mark the name of the Lord on their arms and call themselves one of God's people. And the reminder can be seen at Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. Indeed, we too were once stupid, disobedient, and misled. We were slaves to many kinds of lusts and pleasures. We were mean and jealous. We were hated, and we hated each other. However, when God our Savior made his kindness and love for humanity appear, he saved us, but not because of anything we had done to gain his approval. Instead, because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing in which the Holy Spirit gives us new birth and renewal. God poured a generous amount of the Spirit on us through Jesus Christ our Savior. As a result, God in his kindness has given us his approval and we have become heirs who have the confidence that we have everlasting life. Salt stimulates muscle contraction and a salty life committed to Jesus Christ manifests his strength for the inner man to run life's race. As Paul shares at Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, Christ is the one who gives me the strength I need to do whatever I must do. This is how Paul could say at Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet, but one thing I do. It is my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward and implore others at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So I beg you, brothers and sisters, because of the great mercy God has shown us, offer your lives as a living sacrifice to Him, an offering that is only for God and pleasing to Him. Considering what He has done, it is only right that you should worship Him in this way. Don't change yourselves to be like people of this world, but let God change you inside with a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to understand and accept what God wants for you you will be able to know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. The author of Hebrews tells us at chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, such a large crowd of witnesses is all around us. So we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially the sin that just won't let go. And we must be determined to run the race that is ahead of us. We must keep our eyes on Jesus, who leads us and makes our faith complete. He endured the shame of being nailed to a cross because he knew that later on he would be glad he did. Now he is seated at the right side of God's throne. Salt contains nutrients needed to extract nourishment from food. As true followers of Jesus Christ, our salty lives prove out the eternal nourishment which Jesus provides. 
At John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry, and he who believes in and cleaves to and trusts in and relies on me will never thirst any more at any time. Jesus said more about this eternal food at Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Man shall not live and be upheld and sustained by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Do you think he may have been echoing the prophet at Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16? Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words were to me a joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. In fact, Paul told the Corinthians from whom those following Moses and the desert were really eating and drinking at 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4. I want you to remember, my friends, what happened to our ancestors who followed Moses. They were all under the protection of the cloud and all passed safely through the Red Sea. In the cloud and in the sea, they were all baptized as followers of Moses. All ate the same spiritual bread and drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that went with them, and that rock was Christ himself. A lack of enough of the right kind of salt is dangerous. Just as choosing not to live a salty life that is committed to Jesus Christ leads to certain destruction. Instead, let's live the salty life, not the one that catches fish, but the one Jesus promised in which we would catch men. We at Save One More Now Incorporated encourage all listeners to seek the Lord for His calling on your life. If you are faithful to spend time with Him throughout the day, you will come to know without a doubt that He really loves you and He has a purpose for your being here. We can be reached by email at truelife at saveonemorenow.org or our telephone number in the United States, 850-727-0493. We look forward to joining you next week and ask you to remember, Life is good. God gives life. God is good.